Hebrews 4, verse 1. Therefore, let us fear if, while the promise remains of entering his rest, any of you may seem to have come short of it. For indeed, we have had good news preached to us, just as they also. But the word they heard did not profit them, because it was not united by faith in those who heard. For we who have believed enter that rest, just as he said, As I swore in my wrath, they shall not enter my rest. Although his works were finished from the foundation of the world. For he has said somewhere concerning the seventh day, and God rested on the seventh day from all his works. And again in this passage, they shall not enter my rest. Therefore, since it remains for some to enter it, and those who formerly had good news preached to them failed to enter, Because of disobedience, he again fixes a certain day, today, saying through David, after so long a time, just as he has, as has been said before, today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts. For if Joshua had given them rest, he would not have spoken of another day after that. So there remains a Sabbath rest for the people of God. For the one who has entered his rest has himself also rested from his works, as God did from his. Therefore, let us be diligent to enter that rest, so that no one will fall through through following the same example of disobedience. Thank you, Jim. Well, obviously this is a section related to rest and faith and listening to God and obeying God. The title of the message would be something along the line, Christ, Our Sabbath Rest. Christ, Our Sabbath Rest. But I want to just say a few uh, things in... Uh, preparation for getting into the heart of the message. Part of the radical nature of the New Covenant is seen in how it views the old Mosaic institutions, things like circumcision and the Passover and the high priest and the Day of Atonement with the sacrificial lamb and the, and the scapegoat and the, temp- the temple, all, uh, all these pictures and, and uh, things there in the, old, uh, the Feast of Tabernacles. Uh, many other Old Testament institutions. We find out in the New Covenant that these all find their fulfillment in Christ. They're pointing towards Christ. And I believe that in this list that I just gave, I believe that we should also include the Sabbath institution. Once Christ came in fulfillment of the true meaning of the Sabbath, the shadow was no longer binding because the substance, the reality, had come. Once, the, once Christ came, the reality of what the Sabbath was pointing toward and what we are supposed to understand by the Sabbath was brought 
uh, forth in, in the life of Christ and in his people and his church. Now I want to say something about this idea of shadows and substance or shadow and reality. And to do that, I, I just want to give an illustration for the children here. Hopefully it will be something that they'll remember as they read the Bible. So I want to flip the light off, and I'm going to have Levi turn the projector on here and see if we can get a shadow. Maybe since I'm stepping away from the mic, we'll try try this. Are we connected? We're, okay. All right. Well, all right. I'm doing this to, to try to demonstrate something of what the Bible talks about when it talks about shadows and reality. Because what we have in the Old Testament are basically God telling us things, they're true things, they're right things, but they're only shadows compared to what he teaches in the New Testament. So in the Old Testament, you, you, you can learn a lot of things, and we should read the Old Testament. It's like if you want to learn something about me, uh, you can learn something from that shadow. Uh, for instance, I have an arm, <laughs> and, and on that arm there's a hand, and then on that hand there's five fingers. But you can't, you can't see my fingerprints. If you want to really know about me, it's better to look at me Better to see me than the shadow. And that's what's true in the Old Testament also. There's lots of pictures and types and shadows of what Christ would be like and what he would do. But it's only sh- it's shadows. It's right, it's good, it teaches us things. But it's nothing compared to when Christ came. In the New Testament, we have the actual reality. We have the person of Christ and what he taught. And so we can understand much more of God's will and God's purpose for us by, by seeing what Christ said and what Christ did. So as you're reading children, as you're reading the Bible, just remember the Old Testament teaches us a lot of good things. But, but a lot of it is shadows where you can, just, you, can, you can make out things that God wants us to know. But if you really want to know the, the depth and the, the reality, you come to the New Testament and read what Christ said because that will help you understand those things in the Old Testament. You, you, take, you take the New Testament and read it and then you'll understand what a lot of those things are in the old, what they're teaching us in the Old Testament. You don't go the other way around and try to use the Old Testament to understand the New Testament. You use the New Testament to understand the Old Testament. And so just, just that fact of, of we have good things in the Old Testament, many uh, wonderful things. We can tell like five fingers on the hand, but you can't see the fingerprints. When Christ came, you could see the fingerprints. You could see clearly what God wants for us, what God has um, how we understand much better the way of salvation. <clears throat> For instance, just one example, and I'll stop the illustration. But you have all this, all these animals being killed in the old <clears throat> in the Old Testament. What was God teaching there? Well, for one thing, He was teaching when there's sin, there's going to be death. 
But he was also pointing forward to the true Lamb of God, Christ. And when Christ came, we see what he did for us when he died there on the cross. So, anyway, shadow and reality. So, we want to talk about the Sabbath here today, our Sabbath rest, and uh, the reality of what we learn about the Sabbath rest in Christ. And what I'm saying here today, in some ways, is controversial. And not all Christians would agree with what I'm saying. But I am convinced that the Christian's Sabbath is not the Lord's day. It is the Lord himself and the, and the Christian's present and future rest in him. Our Sabbath is the Lord himself and our present and future rest in him. The weekly Sabbath regulation ended with the cross and resurrection of Christ. I'm I'm telling you, I'd get kicked out of some pulpits for that one. The weekly Sabbath regulations ended with the cross and resurrection of Christ and the coming of the new covenant. So just one example of what we're talking about here, especially in relationship to this thing of of, uh, shadows and reality. In Colossians uh, chapter 2, verses 16 and 17, Paul says this, Therefore, let no one act as your judge in regard to food or drink or in respect to a festival or a new moon or a Sabbath day, things which are mere shadows of what is to come, but the substance belongs to Christ. So there it is. It was a shadow. These various regulations related to food and drink and all the festivals um, and and he specifically says, or a Sabbath day. In other words, that was a shadow, you see. And the reality has come now. The substance belongs to Christ. Now, this is not to say that the general principle of work and rest established at creation and reaffirmed in the Ten Commandments is no longer important. We ignore it to our peril because the Sabbath was made for man and not man for the Sabbath. God made us in such a way that we need to work and we need to rest. We need both of those things. We're made that way. Um, And God established that pattern in his own creative activity even before sin entered the world. Before there was any sin, God worked and he rested. And that's, that, that's partly to show us what it, uh, what's important as being made in his image. We were made in the image of God. Work is not a curse. God did work. And there was work before the fall of man. Work is not a curse. It's a blessing. And so is rest. God made us with limits. One of the reasons he did that is to just remind us that we're not God. He created us with a need for rest. We need to work. We need to rest. Actually, rest is a universal human longing 
probably even more so now that sin has entered the world uh, because now there's a lot of stress and toil and uh, difficulty related to work. Um, I think it's true that sometimes we all feel something of what the psalmist said when he when he wrote this would be in Psalm 55. Oh, that I had wings like a dove, I would fly away and be at rest. We just want to get out of the stress, you know. <clears throat> I I photocopied something here that uh, I thought kind of brings this out in relationship to the burdensome nature of of work after the fall. Um, this writer said, the workplace, workplace stress and pressures, occupational hazards, the daily grind, office politics, crushing boredom, endless routine, disappointments, setbacks, catastrophes, frustration, cutthroat competition, fraud, deception, and injustice. There's no end to the evils connected with work, but work itself is not evil. Far from being a curse, the Bible calls work and its fruit a gift from God. So, both work and rest are vital to our well-being as creatures made in the image of God. And actually, it's, I think it's amazing that the Bible actually teaches that animals and even the land itself need Sabbath rest. But that's very different from the idea that the Sabbath is a certain day of the week which has numerous binding regulations associated with it, like it was in the Old Testament. That was a shadow. That was to teach us something. That old mosaic system of law did not give the real rest that God had designed for his people and his creation. And that real rest only comes in Christ. So... I invite you to consider the thoughts that I'm sharing here this morning and to come to your own convictions based on the scriptures. One thing I would say for sure is that we should not look down or judge other Christians who do not take the position that I'm taking this morning. That is that Christ is our Sabbath rest and the Sabbath is fulfilled in Christ. Um, we don't look down or judge other Christians that they might see this a little bit different. Romans 14.5 says, One man regards one day above another, another regards every day alike or the same. Let each man be fully convinced in his own mind. So you need to be fully convinced in your own mind about this thing of well, uh, the Sabbath and our Sabbath rest. I believe Christ fulfills the Sabbath. He is our Sabbath rest. He's the Lord of the Sabbath, and he's the fulfillment of the Sabbath. And, he, uh, and in him alone do we find our Sabbath rest. To keep the Sabbath is to believe in him only as our righteousness and to rest in him. To break the Sabbath in this new covenant age is to seek a righteousness or a peace or a reconciliation with God by any other work of our own doing, any self-righteousness. Only by daily resting in faith in the finished work of Christ do we enter into what the Old Testament Sabbath day symbolized, 
That's where the reality is, resting in Christ. The Sabbath is not nullified in Christ. It's fulfilled in Christ. And in us who believe in Christ and rest in him. So let's look at some of the scriptures related to our Sabbath rest in Christ, beginning clear back in Genesis chapter 2. Genesis chapter 2. This is the foundational verse in understanding our Sabbath rest. Genesis chapter 2 and verses 1 through 3. Thus the heavens and the earth were completed and all their hosts. And by the seventh day God completed his work which he had done and he rested on the seventh day from all his work which he had done. Then God blessed the seventh day and sanctified it because in it he rested from all his work which God had created and made. So that, I say, is the foundational verse in understanding this area of, this, of Sabbath and rest. Now, we, it should be obvious to us that God does not grow weary or tired. So we know that he did not rest because of exhaustion. This was the rest of accomplishment, a task well done and completed, a satisfaction and delight in his finished work. In other words, he did not stop working because of being tired. He stopped because he was through with his work of creation and he was pleased with what he had done. It's this type of rest which man was originally designed to participate in. A rest not of fatigue, but because of delight in a finished work and a satisfaction in the work he was giving, he was giving us. So, one writer said this, and I thought this was significant. It's a different angle on this whole area of rest. He said, rest involves celebration. It is a sense of well-being. The blessing of rest can only follow the joy and challenge of meaningful work. It is when work is well done that rest becomes a joyful reality. As we said before, the Sabbath was made for man. Adam and Eve were to joyfully enter into the tasks that God gave them to do, things like keeping the garden, raising children, and subduing the earth. They were to be God's stewards, you see, of creation. It was to be a labor that was not tedious or toilsome. It was a labor that he wanted them to do those things, but it would not be tedious or toilsome. In other words, what God set them about was not a mind-racking, emotionally draining, physically exhausting toil. That was not what he had intended for them. Rather, it was a peaceful participation in God's plan and purpose for his creation, a loving labor that was fulfilling and satisfying. That's what the work was that God had for man initially. But man sinned and fell short of the glory of God. And the whole 
situation changed. And in a manner of speaking, you might say it, it, it necessitated God going back to work on creation in order to bring about redemption. Before God did that, though, Adam and Eve tried to do some work on their own, work that they were never intended to do, a work that was ungodly and unfruitful. They labored to make some loincloths. This was humanity's first efforts at, a self-right- at self-righteous works, a precursor to all false religious works down through the ages. Just making those loincloths. That was what they were doing work, but it wasn't the kind of work God wanted them to do. It was a self-righteous act, trying to make a righteousness of their own. As I mentioned, because of man's sin, in a sense we could say God went back to work on his creation. He cursed the creation. And part of that curse involved labor, uh, the labor of women in childbearing, and the labor of men in producing a livelihood. Man's labor no longer was completely satisfying. They had to deal with thorns and briars. It was done by the sweat of their brow. It was no longer delightful, no longer as fruitful as it was before. But this curse on creation was not the only work that God did. He also labored to make garments of skin for Adam and Eve. An animal was killed in order that they might be covered, that Adam and Eve might be covered. In other words, God put into action a plan of salvation which from which is what we get all the Old Testament uh, sacrificial system uh, from. It was later developed from that first work of God there in providing skins uh, for covering. That work of God was not finished in this world until Christ, the Lamb of God, cried, It's finished. His atoning death provides our true covering from the wrath of God towards sin, from that curse. He, he provides our robes of righteousness. We're saved by God's good work for us, not our work for him. One interesting scripture that fits, I think, in this uh, idea of God working to bring about redemption is uh, John five sixteen and 17, when the, uh, some of the Jewish people accused Christ of breaking the Sabbath. Jesus said, my father is working until now, and I myself am working. In other words, the Trinity, the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit were working to provide redemption and our true Sabbath rest. God cursed the creation so there would be no ultimate rest for mankind in the midst of their rebellion. But he also made a way for humanity to enter into that Sabbath rest that he uh, established clear from the beginning, uh, that he originally designed for man. And that way of rest is Christ, faith in Christ. So I hope you're following here just the flow of, of what we're saying. God's 
God had an original rest, uh, a Sabbath rest, and he was working all creation toward that uh, throughout the pictures and types, the shadows of the Old Testament, until he brought Christ himself into the world. All the various Sabbath institutions of the Old Old Testament are intended to remind man of God's original Sabbath rest, which they can take part in. As the scripture said, there remains therefore a Sabbath rest to the people of God. So, that's kind of an introduction. How do we enter into this rest? Well, the answer is daily trust in Christ, the rest giver. He said it this way, Come to me, all who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you shall find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my load is light. And now we're talking about how we enter into that rest. One aspect of this rest involves having his humility and gentleness worked in us. If we're taking that yoke of Christ, if we're yoked up with Christ, we'll have that that humility of Christ, that gentleness of Christ. You see, proud, assertive people can't rest. Proud, assertive people can't rest. And so Christ works in us his humility and gentleness, and that'll grant us some sense of rest in this life. So back to this section in Hebrews. As we read through this, you see that the writer goes back and forth between faith and obedience. Let me just point some of these examples out. Back in Hebrews, talking about how to enter into that rest. Well, as as the writer of Hebrews is explaining it, it's kind of amazing because he'll, he'll go back and forth between uh, faith in Christ and obedience to Christ. Back up in verse uh, 18 and 19, of chapter 3, we didn't read this, but this uh, the section on rest uh, really begins back up in uh, verse 7 where the writer quotes the Old Testament uh, scriptures. But right now, verse 18, to whom did he, and to whom did he swear that they should not enter his rest, but to those who were disobedient? So there's the area of disobedience. And so we see that they were not able to enter because of unbelief. So he's just using those almost interchangeably. They couldn't enter into God's rest because of disobedience. And they did not enter because of unbelief. And then if you go to chapter 4, verse 2. For indeed we have had good news preached to us just as they also But the word they heard did not profit them because it was not united by faith in those that heard. So there's, they didn't put faith in what God was saying. But you go down to verse 6. Since therefore it remains for some to enter it, and those who formerly had good news preached to them failed to enter because of disobedience. So which is it? Is it? Is it faith or disobedience that keeps us from entering God's rest? Well, it's not an either-or. It's a both-and. It's, it's 
faith and disobedience. They go to right together. If you believe God, you obey God. If you obey God, it's because you believe God. Uh, the songwriter said, trust and obey, for there's no other way to be happy in Jesus. There's no other way to rest in Christ but to trust and obey. Uh, Jesus said this in John chapter 6. He said, this is the work of God. They, they asked Christ, what's, what's the work of God? What's the work God wants us to do? Jesus said, this is the work of God, that you believe him whom he has sent. That's the work was what work does God want us to do? He wants us to believe, believe Christ. Well, we begin to experience something of God's Sabbath rest by daily faith and obedience right now. And the emphasis always in this section, if uh, as you're reading through um, chapter 3 and chapter 4 of Hebrews related to rest, the emphasis is always today, today. Um, Trust and obey today. We maintain rest in Christ by trusting today, this day. We maintain by obeying Christ today. Always, always today is the emphasis. We must trust and obey each day here on earth and ultimately to enter God's Sabbath rest in eternity. Now, this section actually, from beginning at verse 7 of chapter 3 through verse 11 of chapter 4, is actually a little bit difficult uh, to follow, at least it has been for me. And I think part of this is because we have to ver- recognize the various time frames that are being referred to concerning God's rest. So let me just try to maybe outline this a little bit might, might make it help help or help us understand better you have God's original Sabbath rest there at the foundation of the world uh, the seventh day when God rested that's the original time and this is a, we see this in chapter uh, 4 verse 4. For he, for he has thus said somewhere, that somewhere is, of course, back in Genesis chapter 2, concerning the seventh day, and God rested the seventh day from all his works. So this is the original time that we should, the time of uh, what we should be thinking about when you think of the Sabbath rest, God's original uh, creation of man and his work and rest at that time. The next period that's talked about in this section has to do with entering into the promised land, the land of Canaan, after they had been laboring uh, and uh, in slavery in, in Egypt, the, the Jewish people. God sends deliverance through, through Moses, takes them out of Egypt and into the promised land, which was a land of milk and honey, the land of rest. The problem is they didn't believe God. They didn't enter in because of a lack of faith, because of their disobedience. Uh, they wandered around in the wilderness. So that's, that was about uh, 1500 B.C. when Moses brought uh, the people out of Egypt. And then 
you know, the question would be, well, didn't, uh, didn't they eventually go in and, and uh, uh, settle the land under Joshua? Well, he brings that up here uh, in verse 8. For if Joshua had given them rest, he would not have spoken up another day after that. So the, 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 writer's saying, Hebrew, the writer of Hebrews is saying, uh, God had a, had a rest uh, established there, a Sabbath rest clear at the beginning, foundation of the world. And then he was told the people in symbolic way this was a symbol of Christ and, and what he had for them later. But he said, if you'll enter, believe me and trust me, there'll be rest in this land. But they didn't do that. And even under Joshua, when they went in, uh, after that, God said, or, or uh, David, 500 years later, talked about the Sabbath rest. So he, the writer's saying, because, because David is, is exhorting the people to enter that rest, that shows that they didn't really enter the real rest that God had for them, even, even though Joshua did take them into the land. So then this would be about the year 1000. You have David exhorting the people. Uh, today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts. So that you have the initial creation, you have the, the time of Moses and Joshua, then you have David uh, talking about uh, arrests for the people of God. But then you, then you have the writer of Hebrews in our section here today quoting David saying, today if you will hear his voice. In other words, here's the next time period. Now, now the real rest is available to you in Christ if you'll obey him, listen to him, you can find rest. And that period is the one, we, we're still in that period. If you hear his voice, don't harden your hearts, come to Christ, trust in Christ, obey Christ, you'll find rest. So that those are the time periods. But then I also think that, uh, and that would be about 50 AD when, when this letter was written, and that, that's still... Is the uh, exhortation to us as Christ's people, as God's people. But uh, actually, the last time period I think that's involved in this section it, um, has to do with the age to come, which will bring about the complete Sabbath rest that God established clear at the beginning of creation. So you come all the way from the time of the foundation of the world when, when God established this pattern of work and rest and that there's a Sabbath rest for his people come all the way through history to the time when Christ comes again and the uh, complete Sabbath rest that God has for his people. There will be a final and complete fulfillment for each of God's people in eternity. I really think that's what verse 11 is talking about. Let us therefore be diligent to enter that rest, lest anyone fall through following the same example of disobedience. In other words, we have to continue to the end, trusting Christ, yeah. believing Christ, obeying Christ. And uh, the, I think that that verse is actually pointing towards eternity, heaven, and the new heavens and new earth, that's when 
That's the saint's everlasting rest, as one writer titled the book. Each of us will enter, well, each of us will either spend eternity in a place of true and total rest or in a place where there's no rest. That's what we're told in the book of Revelation. Let me just read this to you. And the smoke of their torment goes up forever and ever. And they will have no rest, day and night, those who worship the beast and his image and who receive the mark of his name. Here is the perseverance of the saints who keep the commandments of God and their faith in Jesus. See, there's where rest is, trusting and obeying, keeping the commandments, faith in Jesus. And I heard a voice from heaven saying, Write, blessed are those who die Blessed are the dead who die in the Lord from now on. Yes, says the Spirit, that they may rest from their labors, for their deeds follow from them. So, we'll either spend eternity in a place of no rest or a place of complete and perfect rest. There remains a Sabbath rest to the people of God. That Sabbath rest will be perfect and endless. Uh, perfect, endless enjoyment of God in in uh, eternity. So, try to bring this to a close. What we're saying is that there can be substantial rest even now in this fallen world. We can have rest substantially uh, in Christ, but ultimately a perfect rest will be ours in the world to come. We by faith enter into the beginning of rest here in this life and when Christ comes again we shall enter into perfect rest. Now when we think of this perfect rest we should not think of inactivity or being idle. We shall enter into perpetual service and praise which never becomes toil or makes us exhausted. It will be back to that kind of rest that God intended initially for us to have before we, uh, mankind turned uh, from God and, and brought in all the stress and strife of, of uh, work. There will be restful delight in our work that God has for us in the new heavens and the new earth. The Sabbath rest of God is full of, lo- is full of loving participation by his people in his purposes for his renewed creation. Remember that's what he set us about, what he set mankind about even before the fall was to be stewards of his creation. Well, that's what we'll be in the new heaven and new earth forever. Uh, but it won't be a toil. It won't be burdensome. Let me just mention a few areas concerning our future rest. There will be rest from all evil and oppression. Rest from all temptations of Satan. Rest from all abuse and persecution. Rest from all loneliness and isolation. Rest from all divisions and unloving quarrels. Rest from all misunderstandings, even some of our misunderstandings of God's word 
we'll understand all that we should from his scripture. In short, rest from all, all the sad consequences of living in an ungodly world and uh, having to live with our own failings yet. That'll all be gone. We'll be rest from all of that. Though we will be doing the work of God throughout eternity, there will be peace and contentment without weary, weariness or failure. Our active involvement in the new heavens and new earth will be a restful, rewarding type thing, not a stressful, unfulfilling type of work. And again, we're told that even the creation itself will one day be at rest. And we're told in Romans, the creation itself also will be set free from the slavery of corruption into the freedom of the glory of the children of God. Isaiah pictures this time. Uh, I think it's a symbolic language, but we get an idea of what he has for his creation, the rest he has for his creation. Here in Isaiah chapter 11 and verse 6 and 7, well, I said 6 through 9, and uh, uh, he says, uh, And the wolf will dwell with the lamb, and the leopard will lie down with the kid, and the calf and the young lion and the fatling together. In other words, it's a restful situation for, for creation. They can lie down together. A little boy will lead them. Also the cow and the bear will graze. Their young will lie down together, and the lion will eat straw like the ox. And the nursing child will play at the hole of the cobra, and the weaned child will, will put his hand in the viper's den. They will not hurt or destroy all my holy, in all my holy mountain, for the earth will be full of the knowledge of the Lord as the water covered the sea. In other words, creation itself is at rest, not just God's people, but all of creation finds the rest that God had intended from the beginning. Uh, So there remains the Sabbath rest for the creation of God as well as the people of God. God is moving all history, all creation towards the original Sabbath rest he instituted back there in the garden before man's sin. I like the way Bernard of Cluny wrote, the, uh, wrote, wrote about this in a poem, The Celestial Country. He wrote this back in the 12th century. He said, speaking of the new heavens and the new earth, there nothing can be feeble, there nothing can ever mourn, there nothing is divided, there nothing can be torn. Tis fury, ill, and scandal, tis peaceless peace below, peace endless, strifeless, ageless, the halls of Zion know. So we can have a a measure of peace in Christ in this world, but the world rushes on and brings about a lot of strife and and, uh, difficulty. uh, Until Christ comes again. But we can rest. There can be rest for our souls right now in this life. So I want to close with just some thoughts on how we can experience more rest in Christ today. Uh, Obviously, from this section, uh, 
if we're going to experience that rest, we should not harden our hearts. And especially what God is speaking to us in his word and anything the Holy Spirit is speaking to us on, if we're going to have rest, we need to heed those things that God has said. Uh, Here's some things to consider. We need to seek to reconcile relationships. If we're going to have rest, we need to seek to reconcile relationships. When possible, we should be at peace with all people. If we're not right with others, it will drain us both emotionally and spiritually. In other words, if you're going to have rest, you need to seek reconciled relationships. I like the way uh, a man named Richard Swenson wrote a book called Margin. It's really all about rest. Uh, but I thought this was good, the way he said this in relationship to relationships. He said, uh, Perhaps the greatest root cause for the absence of emotional rest in our society is fractured relationships. When there is fighting in the workplace, contention in the community, disagreements in the church, and combat in the home, we won't find rest. The saddest of these, of course, is in the home. It was intended by God to be a haven of peace and security, but when strife enters, rest flees. So we're talking about rest in this life. Seek to reconcile relationships where you can. Uh, Next, we should seek to practice simplicity and contentment. Most of what the world tells us we need to be happy, things we just have to have, we don't really have to have. We don't need those things. Only a few things matter. Too many unnecessary possessions rob us of time and uh, Well, they rob us of time. They rob us of money. uh, They rob us of rest. Uh, The more you have, the more you have to take care of. Um, It's good to remember that the world is trying to push us into that type of thing. Advertisers are in the business of artificial need creation and uh, keeps the economy running, it keeps you running, and you won't find rest. Uh, I I read that the average person is exposed to over 600 ads a day, Uh, TV, commercials, billboards, things on the Internet, radio, 600, that's a lot of... There's a lot of need creation, artificial need creation. Uh, Too much stuff does not make for a restful lifestyle. Then we need to develop scriptural expectations concerning this life. Uh, Don't let the world tell you what life should give you. I mean, if if you think you're supposed to be healthy and wealthy all the time, uh, and have all this stuff, you're not going to be at rest because you've got a wrong uh, expectations of life. Let the scriptures, let the, let the scriptures uh, determine your view of what uh, your expectations should be in this life. Set appropriate boundaries. You know, we can't meet all the demands that are put upon us, uh, so we need to set appropriate boundaries. And then, I think a really big one, the song says, take time to be holy. And I really think that 
we heard some things on prayer this morning in the early message. One of the areas that we can pray about, because it's, it's in the, right in the scriptures, that God would grant us times to lie down in the green pastures and time to where God would times where God would lead us beside the quiet waters to restore our souls. We need that uh, in a world that is rushing on. Uh, along that same line, we're encouraged to pray that God might order society in such a way that we might live a tranquil and quiet life in all godliness and dignity. That's in First Timothy. We can pray for that because God said we can pray for that. Uh, in repentance and rest you shall be saved. In quietness and trust is your strength. So we're not talking about laziness. We're, talk, we're not talking about self-indulgence. We're talking about living a life in all godliness, a quiet life in all godliness, uh, lives ordered by the word of God, lives of simplicity and service and sacrifice. So let me close here by quoting part of a poem that I like by John Greenleaf Whittier. He was, he was a Quaker, and uh, this is kind of what I think about when I think about some of the lifestyle there uh, that at least is a stereotype of the Quakers. Uh, he, he put this in a poetic form. He said, it's, it's like a prayer. Drop thy still dews of quietness, speaking to God. Drop thy still dews of quietness till all our strivings cease. Take from our souls the strain and stress and let our ordered lives confess the beauty of thy peace. Take from our souls. I mean, you can't take it from the world. The world's going to keep on with strain and stress, but he can take it from our souls. Take from our souls the strain and stress, and let our ordered lives confess. Ordered by God's word, you see, ordered in accordance with God's truth. Let our ordered lives confess the beauty of thy peace. In other words, people will see there's something different about the person who's resting in Christ than there is from the world that's uh, rushing on. So in closing then, rest our Sabbath rest is found in coming to Christ. Come unto me, all you who are weak and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me. Keep coming. Not just coming, it's keep coming. Keep trusting, keep obeying uh, Christ. And we will find substantial rest in this life and ultimately perfect rest in the life to come. <clears throat> Well, may God help us to keep coming to Christ, our Sabbath rest. Why don't we close with this song, Jesus, I am resting, resting in the joy of what thou art. <clears throat>